Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, Kevin is talking with the three deciders in a little more depth than our earlier podcasts on the topic with special guest Brian Burns. This podcast is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. Okay, let's get started with Kevin and Brian Burns. All right. Welcome, Brian Burns, back to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Uh, it's always always great for you and I to, to touch base on how all this, this, this sales meets GovCom, these government contracting. So uh, so you've been selling into the government before you started your consulting and podcast and stuff. You were selling to the government as long as I, I've been a buyer for the government. So, yeah, since a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, since since the, the, the dinosaurs were around, right? We've been doing this a while. Since they created the government. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there you go. yeah that's right. But yeah, a, a lot of this is that you, you, you've got, I don't know, 20 some years selling into complex sales, into the intelligence community. Like you understand what a contracting officer is, all that stuff. That's why you and I have, have done a few podcasts together. Yeah, I learned the hard way uh, because <laughs> you get into it and you think, oh, it's just like selling to a company. And it seems that way at the beginning, but then it changes very dramatically. Yeah, there, there's a couple of key differences, like more than a couple, but we're going to pick on one today. So this is this concept we've talked about way back on our podcast in episode 118, and this idea of the three deciders. And so there are three deciders in every acquisition. There, there's the economic decider, the person who has the money. There's the customer, the person who has the need. And then there's the procurer or the contracting officer. And, and the reason that they, they all had their own role, the economic decider decides if we're going to buy this thing or service. Customer decides what we're going to buy, what kind of service, what kind of thing. And then the procurement or the contracting officer puts it all together and actually turns it into a contract. Does that make sense? It does. And a lot of people have this either backwards or incomplete. Yeah, it's. I think you'd said we were prepping for this. You said a lot of people think that only the customer's opinion matters. Yeah, if the customer wants it, and it's the government, they can buy it, right? They can <laughs> it's easy, it. right? Yeah, it's important. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, they just click the button, right? So, so this idea of these three deciders, we're going to walk through a couple different elements of this. The first one really is this idea of you need all three deciders. You can't just operate with two out of three. So on the on the government side, we'll, we'll kind of talk through if you have the economic decider and the customer, you have funding and then you have a need, but you don't have a way to put them together. And so in, in the in the B2B2G space, that's going to be the contracting officer. You see the same thing on the B2B side. Yeah. And I think a lot of people make a couple of mistakes. They think that they go straight to procurement or contracting and say, uh, I sell this. You buy this. Let's talk. <laughs> Sounds easy, right? <laughs> right, but but people don't understand. The contracting officers buy what they're told to buy. They don't initiate purchasing. Yeah, and then the economic decision maker. It's great if they say yes, but if there's no need, it's not going to happen. It's not like I'm walking down the hall looking for things to buy. I, mean, I usually have a <laughs> pipeline of stuff that I need to get done. I'm not looking for ways. So it's interesting that people talk about you need to build a relationship with the contracting officer. Okay, well, that's true if you have a contract with them or if you know that they buy the thing that you sell. But otherwise, you're just sending them spam. Right. Yeah, because they're working on the things that they are told to buy. And they want to make sure it's done properly and orderly. 
but they don't initiate. They don't say, oh, we need a couple more jets or tanks. Yeah, I remember uh, a number of times that somebody would call me with, hey, I want to I build a relationship with you so I can sell you like software or something else. And at the time I was buying body armor or services or aircraft. And I'm like, I, I don't need a pen pal, you know, and, and frankly, neither do you. you know? <laughs> Thank you for calling. Yeah, exactly. It's like let, and having an understanding of who to talk to in the organization is hard. It, it really is, especially, especially on the government side, because the, the procurement folks tend to be the public ones that are all over the documents. But to your point, I can't, I can't buy something that I'm not given money and requirement for. Yeah, and they may put out a request, but that request was initiated by somebody else. Correct. And that doesn't mean they buy stuff outside of that request. Yeah, well, in fact, you had mentioned one of one of our conversations. You talked about uh, where does the RFP come from? In fact, we did a podcast episode based on that conversation of well, the RFP came from somebody introduced this solution to the government. Or they already had the solution and they're repeating it. But it's it's the government, the country officer doesn't write the RFI or RFP on their own. <laughs> it's not done in a vacuum. And it, is it the same? And it's the same in a in a business to business sale. It, it is, and people think it's different. They think procurement kind of is responsible for buying everything for the company. From from a certain perspective, it's right, but they don't initiate this. Right. Somebody has to have that want and be willing to what I call run the gauntlet to get it done because it's hard. And and the beauty of that is understanding that the other two deciders, the funding authority and the customer are the ones that actually give the contracting officer that, that they initiate that, that actually. They initiate it. Yes. Okay. So that, so we know how it can go badly if you only have the economic decider and the customer. And so what happens if we have the customer, the person who wants it and procurement or the contracting officer, what happens when we get together? Well, on the on the government side, we write an IDIQ contract with multiple awards that's not funded, and so really frustrating. <laughs> people win this contract, and then oh, we don't we only have a couple million for this, and even though it's got a you know five hundred million dollars ceiling. So, do you see that in the B two B space? Never, never <laughs> <laughs> see that in, outside the government. And I think people make the mistake, even with the government, that you won something. Yeah, you you won a contracting vehicle. You won. A catalog, essentially, but somebody still has to pay for it. So you have to go find the person who wants it and can pay for it and then connect them up with the catalog. Yeah. If, if you have the contract in place and you know how to use it, okay, maybe it could come in handy later, but that's a big risk. It's not nothing you can forecast. It's not tangible. It helps you along the way because now when you've got the need and the money, you've got the vehicle to get it done faster or without a lot of the RFI, bid, competition, market studies, all of that stuff. Yeah, one of the things we talk about, if, if you have a requirement in place through a contract vehicle, we did a podcast about contract vehicles, and you have the funding, you just have to add it to the contract vehicle that already exists once the customer has the need. So you're kind of putting things out of order, but the, the, the beauty of those as a contracting officer is they allow for maximum flexibility. Because it's, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's less work for me to get those three or four contracts in place. And that's important. Right. So, but I got to know that there's funding down the line. So one of the questions everybody should be asking, including me as a contracting officer, is who's going to fund this thing after we put it in place? Yeah. And, and from the sales standpoint, you have to be thinking, let's say I get somebody interested. 
and they have money, how do I help them purchase it within my lifetime? <laughs> well, because if you go the traditional route, it has to be competed if it's a, above a certain amount, yep. or you have to write a sole source justification. Those things are both risky, time-consuming, and have chances with them. Yeah, there's more people to have to approve them. Yeah. And in sales, time is one of the critical elements of a deal. You know, if it doesn't close within a year, you're not going to get paid the same amount on it. So you have to be able to help your clients buy. You got, you got to know what the process is ahead of time. Yeah. So then the third scenario is we have the economic decider as the funding and the contracting officer or the procurement folks had the vehicle, but there's no real requirement or there's no well-understood requirement. And the scary part with this is that having done this before, we put a contract in place for something that nobody really wants. So does that happen in the B2B space? Uh, not really. You know, a lot of big companies put uh, what they call ELAs in place enterprise license agreements. Okay. And at the end of the year, they try and stuff every product on it. <laughs> okay. And it's a ridiculous waste of time because the customer just crosses off everything that wasn't on their list. So it's okay. like Santa's list and the parents list, right? <laughs> <laughs> or the kids list and the parents list, right? The parent decides what's really needed and everyone thinks, oh, I'll just get it on this ELA and then it'll just slide right through. And it's like, don't count on that either. It's great to have the agreement in place, but you better create the need before you put it on that agreement. So the ELA in this situation, it's, it's a lot like an IDIQ contract. It's, it's, an like exist, it's an existing vehicle. And you go back to that issue is, is it funded? Is it within scope? Can you actually put it on here? And it's the same thing at the at the end of the calendar year or, or whatever the fiscal year is for the company to be able to say, hey, we'll just put them all on this vehicle because I don't have to go compete it. And so some of those, so, some of those processes are the same. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Similar. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. They're right. similar, but not congruent. We'll say it that way. But, but some of the same principles apply that you have to have a real burning need. Somebody who really is banging on the wall. I need this. You have to have the money. Who's going to pay for it? Whose budgets are coming out of? Or who can get access to it? And you've got to get it really easy for procurement or contracting officer to issue this in a legal, proper way. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of an ELA or, or an IDIQ yes. contract is you've gotten those. You got the T's and C's already agreed upon. For the most part, it, it, it should be easier <laughs> to slide easier. through. And as a contracting officer, I'm looking for the path of least resistance. If I have an existing contract in place, that's a path of least resistance. So there is value to this, but to our to the point of our conversation here is you got to have all three players. Because if you put a contract in place that is going to buy, buy something nobody wants, it won't get used. So it was a waste of time for all three players and industry. Or if we get a contract in place that's not funded, it's the same outcome. We don't actually use it. So we have to be yeah. careful what we spend our time on. And that's it. And a lot of salespeople don't realize that when you're selling, especially to a large organization, clearly the government's the largest, but even a, a big corporation, they've got a lot of fences there to protect themselves legally because they're such a target for suits. So they have liability, indemnification, all of these things that need to be pre-negotiated. 
And in the government side, it's 10 times harder. So if you got to have some kind of contracting vehicle to make it easy and expedient. I remember you in one of our conversations, you had said, and I want to give you credit for this. You said that that the organizations aren't set up to make a good decision. They're set up to avoid making a bad one. Yes. And that's a great description of this process is that, that I, I want to make sure that I've got all these pieces in place so that when I put it on this vehicle or when I fund it or when I use the SIFUD acquisition procedure or whatever process I use, I, I, want to, I want to make sure it's not a bad decision. And it's that's a counter way of looking at it, but it's a really good description. Okay. So the second half of what we're going to talk about today in, in context of these three deciders is, okay, who are these people? Right. So what are we talking about here? So in the in the government space, the economic decider, it's the funding authority is the official title for them. They're the, the, the folks who control the budget. They're usually tend to be in, in the military that tend to be 06, like a colonel and above. They're, they're organizational leaders that have a budget that they dole out to users. So funding authority is a term that's used. What's the best term, the correlated term on the B2B side? Uh, on the B2B side, there's typically a, a cap budget capital, buying things, physical things, and then there's operations, the daily grind. What does it take to keep the lights on? On the commercial side, the non-government side, you can tell how much money the company has typically, or reverse engineer it based off of how much money they funded, raised, how many employees they have. Just look at the number of salespeople and what their quotas are. And it's typically not money that's the problem in commercial sales. It's just justifying the money. Well, that's interesting. On the government side, it's urgency. Things like war, disasters, pandemics. All of a sudden, budget starts to loosen up, as we've seen. Yeah. Or fallout. You know, the allocated budget that wasn't used is going to be lost if it's not spent. So the, you got to get high up in the org for people who know and understand this in both the commercial and the government side, because the, the user doesn't understand this. All they understand is I got a problem. Here's a solution. I need it. Manager, go figure this out. So, okay, this is really good. So the economic decider in this context, we're talking this, this, it's interesting. People ask me, who are we talking about? Like they want a title of a person. And it's more about the capability of a person to be able to navigate the the availability of the funds. Yeah. On the government side, it's the responsibility is much more on the contracting officer than it is on all the, the user needs to know is have the money. The contracting officer, make sure it's spent legally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole not, different thing. Not to their cousins, <laughs> not for something for their house. Yeah, not not to a country that's not supposed to get our money. No, there's lots of lots of wickets to walk through. That's why it's so hard. On the commercial side, it's really hard because the approver, you know, even a high level vice president at a big Fortune 500 company can probably spend 10k without getting anyone else's approval. Wow, it, it's really tight. You know, I remember selling to AOL, a co-founder. He's in the meeting. He goes, I can't spend more than 5K without getting the CEO's approval. Wow. They're, they're really tightly managed with it. Now, it may be just a phone call. 
and a signature or a check mark on a purchase request app. But that's why it takes so long on the commercial space. People think it's just, oh, they've got money. And maybe there is budget allocated for it, but they still like to get consensus because if it goes south or it gets reviewed or someone questions it, they want to make sure that their boss knew about it. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's a whole other rabbit trail talking about the difference between the the authorities of a commercial leader versus the government. Uh, for, for, for some context, a government purchase card holder can spend up to $10,000 on a government purchase card. Yes, it's audited afterwards, but they can go out and buy you know office furniture or, or computers or em, em, emergency ATV for driving around after Hurricane Ian, for example. They can just go buy things without talking to anybody. And those aren't even contracting officers. It's the card holder. It's it's just, it's very interesting to, to that's a whole different difference that we could talk about. So the second decider is a customer, that's the user, right? So in the government space, this is referred to as the requiring activity. Like this is the person, like the, this is the 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 one who actually wants the stuff, to your point, the, the person that says, I need this product service, et cetera. User is the term that we usually use in the, in the, in the, in the DOD. What's the best descriptor on the B2B space? Uh, yeah, user buyer is typically what we talk to. Champion, the person who really is going, has a personal win in it, cares about doing it, tells you what you need to do to help them. That's the, the champion user buyer. And then you, you got to get to the economic buyer. And everyone makes this mistake. Everyone thinks it's just one step up. Yeah. It's usually, you know, pretty high up. And sometimes it's even the CEO who has the authority and it's their money will call their board. Yeah, just to make sure. That's a really good point. Well, they, they, you know, because the board is going to hear about this. Right. Now, and if they judge, they judge the CEO. And they just want a little bit of consensus, a little bit of um, transparency with it. Yeah. And it's interesting that the, the customer on the on the government side, they're the one who has the urgent need. Going back to your point of they're the one that is on the ground and says, I need this tomorrow. Give me the funding. Counting officer, get this done tomorrow. They may have to document why it is. They may get the counting officer to document it, depending on the circumstances. But to your point, they're the one who is driving the clock, unless the funds are expiring, because today's September 30th, so we have to mention that. But unless the funds are expiring, that that's driving a clock of its own. But the user is the one who has the requirement in accordance with they're they're dealing with the problem that that the actual product or service solves. And then the last decider is the procurement person, right? So in, in, in the government speak, in the business of the government, this is a contracting officer. And the key difference here that I thought people knew when I was working for the government is that I don't work for the other two. And what I've noticed, because I, well, I sell to companies now, right, that the procurement folks either work for the CFO because they're, they're, they want to make sure the money's not going out. They work for the COO, the operations person, because they want to make sure it's getting done. Or sometimes in the really squirrely ones, they work for the, the chief legal officer. They work for the inside counsel, which means like really slow to get anything done. So is that what you're seeing or is, is, is there any differences yeah, yeah. there? On the commercial side, they're always on the finance side. Mm, okay. <laughs> and depending on how litigious or how big they are, there's typically a legal step before procurement because the procurement is responsible for signing not just the either the quote 
or the order, but some kind of agreement. The agreement about indemnification, liability, deliverability, what happens if this goes south? Who's responsible for it? And in the B2B space, it's usually they want you to use their their document. They always start that way. Everybody starts with, here's our 50-page standard, <laughs> you know, which covers everything from sand to you know, consulting, right? It's, so so how did you navigate the, the giant pile of terms and conditions? When the, you, know, you, you, you always have to push back and you say, well, ours is really simple and yours isn't. It's it's a, a tough negotiation and it's it's part of the sale because when you get into you know high six figures, low seven figures, there's definitely going to be an agreement in place. Mm-hmm. And these legal liabilities and indemnifications start to raise their ugly head. And if you don't get ahead of it and start that negotiation uh, as soon as you can, because they have to add value. You know, even though there's there's nothing really there, meaning like SaaS, if somebody breaks, let's say IBM breaks the agreement, instead of litigating, you just turn them off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to sue them for the rest You're of the contract. Right. You're not going to sue. Them. So the, the liability and stuff is, isn't as serious. And the government side is much more serious. Right. Now, did you deal when you were selling to the government? Did you deal with. Uh... Your leadership wasn't like adjust oh all God. the clauses. Yes, I mean after nine eleven, we were a core element of a lot of the projects up there. So the need went from research to operations, mm. and I had a multi seven figure deal that I was negotiating in a unclassified trailer in the parking lot on my cell phone with my lawyer and my CEO. And my CEO goes, we can't agree to this, Brian. I go, you have no choice. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, the next call is going to be from the director. So so he wanted to negotiate like the government clauses and- Well, he, he, you know, drug-free workforce clause <laughs> from a Boston company, forget it, Right. You know, liability 10 times the cost of the contract wasn't going to agree to it. And I go, there's no, what are they going to, no one's going to get hurt using our software, right? It's not field operation, it's back office. Right. And he goes, you, the director of the division? I go, no, the, the NSA director. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's the, it's the idea of there are things you can negotiate in a B2B space that you well. Can- you're, you're talking about national security in a lot of right. cases. And at the time, Sun Microsystems was told not to ship a single box to anyone but them until all their needs were met. Wow. I mean, you're talking about the company, the country is under attack. Yeah. Right. And you're a critical piece of the infrastructure. It's going to happen. You know, because they were going to use the software no matter what. They were going to break the license agreement and just use it. So you either get the money and enjoy it or you bicker about who's responsible for things. Wow. Or they use the, uh, with a defense production act and say, we need this. Thank you. Right. You say you just do it. Yeah. It's a bit extreme, but it's, it's interesting that uh, I've had people negotiating with me over the, um, uh, the the termination for convenience clause. 
this is this is as a contracting officer, we can just walk away from this contract. Yeah. It's like I, I didn't write the clause. I mean, I, I can't debate it with you, but that's non-negotiable. So yeah, it's very well, interesting that the things are negotiable in B2B that yeah, it surprised me people negotiate them in government. Desert Storm One, I got several of our machines connected to a project that was for Desert Storm One. And they were say the drug-free workforce clause. They weren't my company wasn't going to sign that. The company in California. And I go, just sign it. I go, do you want a couple million dollars or do you want to be right? <laughs> you know, and I, I would just call the CEO, who was an ex-Air Force guy, Air Force Academy guy. And he goes, Who's in your way? <laughs> Five minutes later, it's faxed back to me. It's crazy. I think on the commercial side, on the sales side, you've, if you're selling to the federal government, you have to understand you're going to have to concede to a lot of things if you want these big deals done fast. Yeah, there's the, the, there, are, there are ways to get them done. There are paths of least resistance, but they require certain steps that may not be there. And you can't treat it like a commercial where they're going to come after you. They're protecting themselves. They don't care about you. They're protecting themselves. The That's government's protecting. Point. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, government's got money, easy target to sue and annoy and bicker with. But no commercial company in the world wants to do that because they buy so much. You don't want to be known as a difficult vendor. You want to be cooperative. Yeah, it's an interesting point that goes back to the idea of the government's the, the government acquisition process is designed to not make bad decisions. Because it's so easy to make a bad decision. Yeah, there's there's so many ways for things to go squirrely. Speaking of things going squirrely, we're coming up on our half hour limit. We, you and I could could, could pull, pull this stuff apart for hours. But yeah, the, the today's topic was about the three deciders. I'm really glad to hear some of the the, the metaphors we can come up with for how it works on the B two B side. Um, these are these are always fun, and I will see you on the next one. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, that's it for another episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Thanks again to our special guest, Brian Burns. And if your company needs help deciphering the three deciders, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is here for you. Again, visit skywayacq.com to learn more. On the site, you'll also find curated playlists of our podcasts, so you can find the podcast you're looking for a little more by topic area. Again, that's skywayacq.com slash COP, Contracting Officer Podcast, for our playlists. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.